right, guys, uh, as we're getting, getting settled, um, hey, I'm going to go ahead and spend some time in prayer. Uh, but before that, if you need a Bible, if you can raise your hands. Uh, Ken has Bibles for us. You can uh, grab a Bible uh, today. If you, uh, if, you, if you don't know, we've been going through uh, a series called Ecclesiology. Um, we are going to actually, um, we, we started off actually by, start, by understanding how we got here. Um, the story of how we, how we became the church. Ecclesiology means the study of the church. Uh, we, we affirmed in our first time together uh, that, that many of us, actually I don't think anyone rose their hand, that they've ever done an ecclesiological study in church before, uh, which points to um, many of us, including myself, um, being kind of anemic in this area of understanding what does it mean biblically when we talk about uh, what is church and what are, we, what are we to be about? Uh, what happens in our culture is we get together and we, des- we kind of decide on ourselves and we kind of try to accent with the Bible what we want church to be. But uh, very rarely do we sit down and really process uh, what it seems happened in history of old and couple that with the scriptures on what church uh, should be and then who we are and then what we should be becoming. So that's what we've been doing uh, for the last couple of weeks. We'll be in this series till uh, probably around the uh, beginning of Advent, and then we'll uh, continue to celebrate the Lord with Advent. So uh, we started off by understanding how we got here, going through a big framework of our, our history uh, as far as, like, God creating all the way to uh, redemption and understanding our place being in a place of restoration and new creation. Sadly, that sermon did not get taped. So... Um, but then after that, we talked about the mission of the church. Basically, if this is who we are, then what are we to be about? Uh, and that actually is online, so you can uh, check that out. And today we're talking about the nature of the church, all right? And so uh, with that said, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump into what that means and enjoy each other. Okay, guys? I mean, bow your heads, please. Lord, we come to you humbly and just uh, very thankful for being your children. Lord, we are so grateful for you dying on the cross, uh, seeing sinful man, having us be your enemies, and then making us your friends all through your doing, uh, through you coming uh, to earth as a man, fully God, paying the price for our sin, in doing so, rising from the dead and conquering death and sin and Satan and evil. Lord, we are so grateful for that. Thank you for loosening us, releasing us from the shackles. And we pray if there's anyone here right now who's still experiencing uh, that imprisonment, Lord, that you allow them to hear the gospel, get it, and want to respond to you in worship. And the Holy Spirit, we pray that you use my words, Lord. We, we confess that what we say means absolutely nothing without the power of your spirit and uh, doing your thing, bringing glory to Jesus. We pray for that. And we ask that we would leave here with a better understanding of of what we should be about I mean, as a local body. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, uh, just uh, we always like to say, you know, you can uh, ask questions if there's some that you have so that the uh, body of Christ can be edified. Uh, this, this topic is very different than the rest of the topics we've done thus far. And this will be kind of our, because uh, some of you guys already want to get to the good stuff. You're like, man, well, we're going to talk about, like, membership, and we're going to talk about government and all this stuff. Like, we're going to get into some of the crazy stuff. But we have to set a good foundation first. Um, and this is uh, another one of those good foundations of understanding the nature um, and so uh, this week, uh, we're going to talk about what, what does it look like uh, to be the church. When you think of the word uh, 
nature? Like, what is the nature of the church? Uh, how, do you, how, do you, how do you answer that? Um, how do you know if a church is a church? Basically, is another way to talk about the nature of the church. And I would say um, the best way that I can put, uh, I can kind of frame the word nature is like, you know if a church is to be a church kind of the same way you know if a, if a cat is to be a cat, right? Or, I don't know, a dolphin is to be a dolphin, right? It's, um, it's characteristics, right, that really identify um, what, what something is. There are certain characteristics. And in the same way, there are certain characteristics that you and I have um, as a people of God uh, that determine if we are a church or not, okay? Um, so so what, we, what we mean by nature... Um, is a result of, of inborn or inherent qualities, okay? So that's what we'll be talking through. And we'll be talking through it, uh, and then I was trying to figure out how the best way to be faithful because this is something that the Bible, unlike some of the other, you know, missions, is very clear in Scripture. The nature of the church, there's so much to it uh, that we could be here all day. And so I thought the best way to be faithful was to kind of give you kind of a survey uh, it'll be somewhat academic, but hopefully it'll be helpful for all of us as we're growing our understanding of, of the study of the church, ecclesiology. I'll give you a survey of kind of church history, of, of what people before us who worked hard, prayer, prayerfully, who even were killed uh, for the sanctity and the purity of what we would call the church. All right? So we're going we're gonna to try and understand and grasp uh, our qualities that are inherent in us as the people of God uh, and see that from what people said what was inherent of us in the past. All right, guys? So what we mean by nature is a result of inborn or inherent qualities, okay? Uh, and, and in church history, the nature of the church, and when you talk about marks of the church, those are always used kind of synonymously. Uh, so like marks of a church. And so you even have um, there's a very popular website, um, um, Nine marks of, of, of a healthy church and things of that sort, right? Uh, the, the whole concept is like there's things that you and I uh, should be about uh, when we talk about being the local church. So I want to start by, uh, with an old confession uh, and then kind of unpack it maybe a little more. Uh, it's the, the Nicene Creed, all right? And then this, 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 this concept that these are the people they said back in the day, uh, basically, uh, you know, Christianity came on the scene. Uh, they, they, were, they were worshiping together. They got thrown out, thrown out of Judaism. Uh, they, became, they were called the way. Uh, then they became, began to be called Christians. They kind of, uh, throughout history, were, were getting persecuted. Uh, but all of a sudden, God in his grace allowed basically uh, the world to become uh, Christianized, as it were, in religion, uh, not in absolute faith. Uh, and so at that point, uh, you had uh, the first council of Constantinople, Okay. Uh, which was around, it was in the, like the, the 300s, I think the late 300s, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and, uh, and you had the Nicene Creed that was formed out of that, okay? And what this was, and this is the way creeds happen, uh, we're not, we're, we are, we're going to become more of a credo church. Uh, creeds uh, for our day and age uh, are almost um, obsolete, which is uh, sad, and I'm actually, I'm going to hopefully lead our church back into understanding some of the creeds because that's how where we get a lot of a foundational um, aspects of who we know we are to be. Um, but creeds uh, are, were formed a lot of times because there was heresy, okay? So, so doctrine is interesting because we think, or I can think that doctrine is formed, like you just, everybody got together and said, okay, what are all our key doctrines? And you kind of wrote them all down and then we kind of passed them on through the time. 
But a lot of times what was happening is that people were worshiping Jesus, and then people started doing or saying things that were not in, uh, in congruence to the apostolic teaching. Okay, and then what will happen is that all these, all these leaders will get together and say, hey, these people are saying these things about the Trinity, or these people are saying these things about the person and work of Jesus. So we need to get together and we need to think through, what are we saying as a local, as a church? All right, and, next, and then next thing you know, you would have a creed pop out, okay? Just giving you kind of the history. So that was, that's basically what was happening here. Uh, and so what happened in this, uh, in this creed, and we want to go through, you can, you can read through it in, uh, as I'm sharing. But what I want you to focus in on is this toward the end here is what our, our, some of our church fathers decided to be the marks, some of the marks of a church, okay? And so we're going to, again, to not overwhelm us and be a lot of information, uh, but we're going to just go through basically uh, the four marks that we see in the Nicene Creed. Uh, then I want to bring us um, down to uh, the Belgian Confession where we're going to see a few more marks that are added, uh, more toward our day and age. Uh, and then we're going to talk about, so what does it look like to find um, a healthy church? Okay, guys? All right. So the marks that you see toward the uh, end here as you're reading uh, was that the ch- a church is one holy Catholic and apostolic. Okay? So that's what these guys back in the day, when they got together and they said, hey, in a nutshell, this is what constitutes a church. Okay, the nature. This is the nature. There's more stuff to it, but this is kind of the nature. This is our inherent qualities that should be in a church. Let me go through uh, those four real quick. First is starred with actually uh, holy. Okay. When you think of the nature of a church, okay, when you think of who are we to be, and this is very important because if we agree to these things, it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect how we do life in the body and how we proclaim Christ outside of the body. Okay, so I want to pause and to say one of the main marks that have become, that's been unchanged ever since 380, okay, even before that, obviously, but they came together and said, we're going to say this is a mark because people are, are adding some stuff to the gospel is that a church is holy, holy, holy. Okay, holy means pure, perfect, right, without fault. What's interesting about holy is you can't even talk about holiness without talking about divine quality. My point is that you can't talk about holiness without talking about a God. First John 1 verse 5 says this about, about our king, right? It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And I love when I was studying this back in seminary because the literal Greek would say, it would say, God is light, and in him there is no darkness, no, no darkness at all. The point was, there is absolutely light. There's no, there's no darkness, no, no darkness at all is what the epistle writer wanted us to get when you think about holiness. That, that basically the truth of holiness about, G, about God is that it's, his, it's God's very being, which makes holiness for God very different in holiness with us. It's, it's who God is. The, the idea of holiness, guys, is at the heart of the revelation of God. 
like at the heart of, of God revealing himself, and that's why uh, Hebrews of old uh, was interesting, you know, when they began to write out uh, Yahweh, he was, they revered him so they would never write, they would never put the vows in the word. They, 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 they felt like they couldn't write his full name. They wouldn't do that. They felt like that, they, 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 he's too pure. So when you even go to antiquities and you see uh, the word Yahweh, what you actually see is you'll see what we would call a W, uh, I'm sorry, a Y, a W, uh, an H, and a W. That's, can you imagine to have that kind of reverence? You would, be, you would not want to spell the name of God? This was the normal practice of a Hebrew. I just said briefly, holiness is always derived and dependent upon proximity or relationship to the holy God. I love that. Like you can't even, you can't be holy or talk about holiness unless you're talking about being connected to God. There's, there's, no, there's no discussion about holiness unless God is fully in a discussion. Don't you love that? That's a trait that is totally dismissed unless God is in the picture. Now, that's who God is. He's other, he's holy, he's perfect. I mean, we can't even imagine being like having absolutely no impurity. Well, guess what? So that's who he is. And as I try to train our church in understanding everything through the lens of the narrative of redemptive history and that he, part of what we are about when we're born again is to retell his story and who he is, the essence of who he is, is holiness, what do you think we are to retell? So because God is holy, the church is holy. So a, a, a natural mark of the church is holiness. To, to, to thwart this attribute at all, to thwart this essence at all, is to paint, paint a blurred picture of God. So what this means practically, the church is pure. We're set apart in God's sight right? That's what it means, right? We're set apart for God's purposes in God's sight. And actually, the concept is um, to separate from common or profane to a divine use. You hear that? Without, without God, the, 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 per, the perception is that everything else is profane, <laughs> and he's separating you from common profane use. Sandra, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. And that's what I love about, about this, even this discussion. So the question on the table is, is the church holy because of what it does or because of what God does? Let's say it in another way. Okay? Right? And I love asking that question because we have to ask that question first of, of our history of the Israelites. So why were the Israelites holy? Because God said so. Period. Period. I love the fact that they were walking around as one of the weakest people in all of the land. They were defiled and jacked up. And then God looks at him and says, you're holy. And because of, hear this, their proximity, as it were, to Jesus, 
they're holy. And you know what? That practical story of what God does with a people group, what he's doing with people, he retells when he comes, right? That's the whole point. Part of the healing is to show people that when, 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 when humans touch a defiled person who's unclean, they become unclean. When God touches a person who's unclean, they become clean. See, you can't defile God. He makes you pure. And so what God wants to do when we even talk about this mark, I think it's so important what Sandra's saying, so you can have perspective here, right? This is not like, oh, so, okay, God's holy. I'm supposed to be holy, so I got to do this. 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 You miss it. The point is to understand who God is and to understand who he's made you in new creation. Look at some scriptures here. Um, In Exodus 19, verse 6, the good he tells to the people, he says in verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel, and he goes on. In Leviticus 19, verse 2, he says, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So here's what he does not want us to do. Well, I'm evil. You know, my thoughts are always crazy. So I guess I'll just, you know, I, I won't, you know, I'll praise the Lord for grace. We'll just be jacked up, right? Because what that's saying is it's not, it's putting your trust in what you can do and not in who God is. But it seems the response that God wants from all of us as a local body is to affirm that our king is holy. He's perfect. He's without fault, without blemish. And then what he does, he takes people full of blemishes who are just blemished, right, broken, messed up. And then he says, by my grace, you're now whole. And I love that he doesn't wait until you stop cussing. He doesn't wait until you get to things out of your life that you think make you unholy, which is hilarious in that discussion at all in any way, right? You must don't understand how evil you really are. But what he does in the midst of your evil, in the midst of your rebellion, he makes you holy and he makes you his child and he makes you his friend. In the midst of it. And what that does is that makes you understand that the focus is not on you, but on the promise. It's on the promise of what Jesus has done and done in you and will do in you. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's why the gospel, the gospel message is unmatched, obviously because it's true, but the focus is God and not us. That, that, you know what that does? That should make you happy. That should get you excited. That should take the weight off. Because that should show you that our God is holy. And wow, he wants us to retell that story. So now the call isn't for you to pull up your bootstraps. The call is for you to pray and, let the, and say, Lord, would you allow what you've done in me to show the world? Would you, would you just allow us to be a body that takes holiness seriously? Because you do, Right? See, holiness, to answer Sandra's question, is, is not, it's, not it's, it's the standard of the Christian, okay? That's the standard. That's how we look at God. But here's what I love about it. Because of Christ, it's also the guarantee. See, God is saying the church will be holy not because we'll get our act together, but because he's deemed us holy. So for our local body, as, as, as I lead our crew, 
we're going to get it wrong. We're going to mess up. I want us all to affirm, okay, wow, God's holy. We are to be a holy church. Now, I know, and we don't worry about what other people are doing. We don't, we say, Lord, we read in your Bible. We want to be a holy church. So now, when, if I am sinning against my wife, and I'm in a mad group, and I got brothers who love me enough to say, listen, you shouldn't talk to your wife like that, bro. I don't get mad. Why are you judging me? Right? Weirdo responses, like we're not a church committed to holiness. But I rejoice. And I go, thanks. Hurts my pride. I'm embarrassed. But thank you for pointing me to Christ. Thank you for being serious about holiness. The church is holy because what has happened to it, not because of what it's done. Amen. So here's what God has done. What he does, he chooses us. He sets sets us apart for God. He gives us a character to conform to his laws, which, praise the Lord, is not the law of old. It's the law of the spirit, the Bible says. He frees you to be who he's made you to be, and that is holy. He's made you holy already. All he's asking you to do is just show what you already have become in Christ. All right. That's a, that's a biggie, guys. I just want us to, to dwell on that one, holiness. Also, they, they, that, we, that we're one, all right? That a mark, a mark of the church is that we're one, right? The whole concept there is refers to the wholeness and totality of all true believers uh, in Christ. Look what the scripture says um, in verse 11 of Colossians chapter 3. The scriptures say, here there is not Greek and Jew. We've, we've gone through the whole book of Colossians. You should be already down with this, and it should be hitting, the pistons should be hitting right now. Uh, it's not Greek or Jew, and Jew is not circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. He says, it's not about all that, but Christ is all and in all. Romans 8, 3, verse 28 through 30 says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, the scriptures say, right? Or is God the God of Jews only? He's making these points. Let's talk about family. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. See that, guys? Point being that the church of Christ, right, the body of Christ, is not limited to time, place, race, or culture. Okay? And so if that's our mark, if, that, if, that, if that's how you're supposed to... That, that, like when you see the church, you're supposed to go, oh, I can tell they're one. Then that's why it makes only redemptive sense when you see an eclectic room of black folks and white folks and Latinos and you go through the groups. And they're all in this unity and diversity, right? Or I would, I would say uncommon unity and diversity. Because that models who God is. I put one, like one and Catholic, I think are kind of, because one is like just that oneness, and then Catholic is that universality to the oneness. So, so they would say Catholic, which the word, the, the meaning is, is the concept of universal, okay? Uh, it includes all those who have been redeemed by Jesus' blood. So he's saying that every, that, that every person who loves Jesus and walks with God is a believer. Now, this is, and we, and this is, um, now, one thing I'm learning as you even think of all the traditions, um, you, the reality is 
the, the people who have their faith and their trust and their hope and confidence in Jesus alone are Christians. Okay? I know we have all kinds of traditions. You know, you got your Eastern Orthodox, your Catholics, you got all these different traditions. But the question on the table is what have people done with Christ? And trust me, I, I have my deep convictions. This is a reformed church. I'm reformed in my doctrine. But I will, pro- I will pro- proclaim to you as a leader that there are Catholics who love Jesus, right? And they're saved. Okay? I hate to mess you up. All right? And, and guess what? There are Catholics who go through the motions and they're cultural Catholics and they don't love Jesus and they're not saved. And guess what? There's evangelicals and reformers and people in Acts 29 who, who love Jesus and they're saved. And there's people in Acts 29 and in John Piper's church who go to church every week and they're not saved. Because none of that stuff saves you. Your connection to Christ. Right? So the scriptures say, um, one, of my, one of my favorite passages, Romans 5, verses 6 through 9, the scriptures say, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. You know, a lot of us homies up in here, we ain't dying for a good guy. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have, been now, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The whole concept is the sense of universality. Like the people who uh, will be enjoying Christ forever will be those that love Christ. And guess what? I'm going to be up in there with bad doctrine. You're going to be up in there with bad doctrine. And God's going to be gracious and say, hey, remember you was teaching that for like 15 years, Eric? That was absolutely wrong. But you try it. Okay? That's going to be how it is, y'all. Okay? So what we have, we have holy, one, Catholic. And, 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 and each one, I want to challenge you to do this, guys. Uh, do this. Think of each uh, mark and then say, now, what could get a person in trouble with this mark? Right? So, you know, for example, even in this mark of, of Catholic, you know, when you start doing sectarianism, uh, right, and you start having different sects, you know, like, well, these people are really saved. People who are actually, you know, you, you're a Christian, but you're not baptized with the Spirit yet, so you're not really, really a Christian. You, you see, you start having sectarianism. You can have different sects, right, where, oh, well, you know, well if, you, if you're part of this specific, specific group, uh, then you can, then you're, really, then you're a believer. Where God is going, I didn't know I had to jump through more hoops than my love for Jesus, Mm, good question. So sectarianism is when you are actually saying the people in your group are those who are actually the only ones who are saved, who actually have a relationship with God. Okay? So that would be Jehovah's Witness, for example, Mormonism. And when you get into those camps, some apostolic Pentecostalisms are sectarian. And when you get into those camps, you're, not, you're now a cult. Okay? You're now a cult. Whereas denominations are agreeing that there's other traditions because everyone is saved universally. They understand the doctrine of holy Catholic that there's a universal body of Christ that everyone belongs to because of Jesus' gathering. But yet within that framework, there's different thoughts and beliefs that separate the different, different thoughts, the different denominations. So more, one is more theological where, hey, we got some theological differences, but we both agree on the reality of the gospel. The other says we have our own gospel. 
He was throwing me a lob there to make things clear. I hope that did the deal. All right, and finally we have apostolic. Okay, I said it would be somewhat um, academic, but I want us to wrestle with this and think about what was happening of old. And this is, you know, this is, we're talking, you know, 200s, 300s, you know. They're dialoguing about this. Apostolic, um, this basically means that what we believe as a people is we believe that, that, um, that our teachings are founded on uh, apostolic authority, that the, what the apostles taught, okay, in the New Testament. So we say, and, what, and that obviously automatically affirms the Old Testament, okay, because they affirm that we are getting our gathering our information, we're connecting our Old Testament to uh, the, 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 the canon of the New Testament, which in the Council of Jannia you get the Bible. Um, so Ephesians 2 uh, verse 20 says, I'll actually start at 19, guys. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's just talking about redemptive, what was going on in history. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And he says this in verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being a cornerstone. Okay? So uh, and this, is, this gets kind of hairy because you have some traditions, like you have Eastern Orthodox, uh, our Catholics, uh, they... They actually believe in apostolic succession. Okay, so they, they, they all, and there's other traditions too, they believe that actually um, uh, that, that, the, that the apostles uh, were come, come through a line uh, that, that, that they can track, and they can track themselves all the way to an apostle. Okay, so even, but, they, but, they, but somebody has to be wrong because the Eastern Orthodox are saying they can track themselves to the apostle. Uh, the Catholics are saying they can track themselves to the apostle. So that's basically, um, so they believe in, in, in succession of the priesthood and that each priest goes through a succession. Does that make sense? So this guy, he began it. So for example, Peter began in succession and Peter transferred over to the next guy, to the next guy, till you get to 2013 and there's been a consistent succession. Okay. Obviously I'm, I'm reformed about theology. I have great problems with that, but that is some of the thought. The difference between uh, some of those traditions and what we believe as evangelical Protestants is uh, we hold um, in the, the, the doctrine of apostolic continuity, okay? Uh, and we would say that the whole, the whole concept is the apostolic succession isn't passed on through a person but through the scriptures. So we would say the apostolic succession is passed on because the apostles wrote these books and then those books have been handed down throughout history. So our succession is more scripturally, well, that's not fair. They obviously affirm these scriptures too, but we don't put our, we wouldn't say that there's a succession of people. Does that make sense, guys? So we would say a church is apostolic as it recognizes and practices the supreme authority of the apostolic scriptures. So people are teaching the Bible. Okay, guys? All right, so now we, so that was back, that was way back in the day. That was the thinking, right? is that um, a church had, well, the nature of the church showed its marks through holy, right, being one, being Catholic, being apostolic in this approach, okay? All right. <clears throat> now, we, keep, we move on down uh, to maybe like the 1500s where you get your kind of your Belgian confession. Um, and, and you can read that online. Uh, specifically, I think uh, the, the, the articles in the 20s, I would go there uh, and just start reading those. And you'll start getting to some of the stuff we're talking about right now. But they, they begin to add, um, through Protestant influence, that one of the marks is the preaching um, of the scriptures, which I think is, is, is this another way to say apostolic authority, in my opinion. Um, and that 
uh, uh, the true mark of the church engages in the pure pre- preaching of the gospel. All right, guys? So I won't, I won't harp on that because you know how serious we are about that. And we'll talk about that a little more. That if you're in a church or if you're here and you're not hearing the gospel consistently, and you're not hearing the preaching of the scriptures, not just Eric Rusk little topics that I want to share to kind of lead you somewhere, but no, exposition of what the Bible says, you should leave this church or any other church, okay? Um, another component that was assumed in the first centuries, and so I just want to make sure those guys don't get a bad rap, but wasn't talked about because it was so normal, is that administration of sacraments. Okay, I, I want to propose that this was added specifically because of the bruja between the Catholicism and Protestants, Right? Uh, and they wanted to show, this is just my, my take, so don't go calling me and you're wrong, Eric, I'm, is, uh, is that they wanted to show that they still respected and celebrated the, the doctrines of grace that are flow through the sacraments, but not in the way of the Catholics of old. So administration of sacraments, being, meaning that, make, that, we, that we make use in our local church, the proper use um, administration of the sacraments as constituted um, in the scriptures, which propose, like, the sacraments are used to... Uh, to demonstrate God's grace in, in the worship of, of believers, right, as we, as we welcome people into the fold um, through, through baptism, right, as we remind ourselves of his, his coming resurrection and as we continue to ask for, for his demonstration of grace even through uh, the sacrament of communion, okay? But here's what's interesting. Now, it was, it was extremely practiced all throughout history but then what happened in these confessions, they begin to say, hey, we need to make this really clear. You are not a church, a clear mark of the church. What do you think is the next one? Church discipline. So they added three. Their, t- their three was one that I would propose wasn't really added, but they, they would say it from this perspective. You're a biblical church if you preach in the word, you're administering the sacraments, and you're modeling church discipline. And that was it. Isn't that interesting? Now, what's interesting is uh, Calvin uh, and a couple others thought there was just two marks. And then um, even Moeller, Albert Moeller, uh, he's a big wig today in Christian, Christian circles. Uh, last time I checked, he was the president of, of Southern Baptist. Um, and he would say that this mark, this mark of church discipline is the one missing mark in the church today that we've, that we've all affirmed and said, you know what, we're not going to do that anymore. And he would say it's a missing mark. All right. Okay. So we've, we've, we've crumbled up and gathered about seven. All right. Uh, here's what I want to do. Um, these aren't marks, but I want us to just get some clarity of understanding, um, just some, some invisible understandings that are assumed for church clarity. So this is more for your information. Okay, guys? All right? So I knew this, this was going to be heady, but I said I got to do it. I want to be faithful. So I'm going to give you a heady one this week. All right? Um, the first one is that the church is invisible, invisible. Okay? This, this is a, this is a assumed nature of the body. Um, I say this because when you think of uh, 1 John 2, verses 19 through 20, uh, scriptures read, uh, they went out from us, but they were not of us. And if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. 
But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge and teachers, um, and all have knowledge. And what's interesting about this concept, guys, and you can even see it today, that's why I'm bringing it up, because I think this meets our community and meets, meets our culture, is that the church is composed of true and false believers, right? Just because y'all all ain't here don't mean y'all are believers. But also, this recognizes the doctrine of perseverance, so you got two things hitting there. You got the doctrine of perseverance that, that true believers are believers until the day of redemption. All right? And that, you know what, just, you know, he says in Matthew, just because you, says, you say, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean you, that I'm your Lord. He says, you know, I healed in your name, I baptized in your name. And then Jesus says, depart from me, your works of iniquity, I never knew you. That's his response to people who are casting out demons, who are saying, I walk with you, I hung out with you, Jesus. He says, I never knew you. How does that happen? Because God isn't concerned about all your works. He's not concerned about you tipping the tithe basket, right? Walking old ladies across the street. That's not his point. Is that Jesus wants a heart, right? And, and, and the point in that is that he, there's, a, there's a humility that comes with the sense of that the church is invisible, invisible, because now you've got to do heart issues, Ain't about, ain't about fooling me or fooling this body or fooling your husband or fooling your wife. It's really about, are you connected to Christ? And that reveals itself through your demonstration, the fruit of your life. Is that messy and that, and that clear? All right, so the church is invisible and visible, but also there, there needs to be some clarity on the church and the kingdom of God, Okay. We got to understand the difference, or we can, we can, especially in our community, we can mess things up. So, what's the kingdom of God? Amen. The rule and reign of Jesus, okay? We usually think, you know, that the kingdom, we, we didn't know what that meant. You read, the, you read the, the gospels, and you don't know how to handle that. The kingdom has come, it's, well, the kingdom is already here, it's near you, it's among you, it's here. When you're hearing all this stuff, and you go, well, how is that? Right? The whole concept is rule and reign, always a kingdom, Okay? Now, this is important because the church is not the kingdom. Okay? So I'm going to just make some points so we understand how we do life. The church is not the kingdom. Okay? The kingdom is the rule and reign of Christ. The the kingdom actually creates the church. Right? The rule and reign of God is how God then brings in the church. Matthew 16 Right when he gives, when he ushers in the mandate to Peter, and then we see the formation of ecclesia in Acts. In Pentecost. So the rule and reign of God is how then the, then the Lord brings about the ushering in of the people of God. And then what happens is that the, the kingdom, the rule and reign of God, creates this church, this people, and then the church witnesses to the kingdom. So our role is what we do is we point to the rule and reign of God. So they're not equivalent, but the church is actually an instrument of the kingdom. That's what the church does. We are a vehicle uh, or a custodian of the kingdom. We, we help people gain clarity of the kingdom and understand what the kingdom's about. But we are not the kingdom. The kingdom is a gift. And new creation is a gift. We'll, hopefully we'll talk about that down the road, but you don't bring... you. All right, all right, and I got to make sure, make sure our doctrine's tight. Like, 
like there's a balance of 1 Corinthians 15, God using our works for his glory, but all the things that he's doing is a gift to his people. We're not ushering in new creation. We're not, we're not bringing the kingdom, right? I mean, in the sense that if we aren't doing what we're doing, that the kingdom won't come. You follow me? God's rule and reign is here whether we acknowledge it or not. So maybe a better word is that we, we get to point, we get to be voices, we get to help people see where redemptive history is going. We get to, God uses our works in some manner to display the reality of the kingdom. But I just want to make sure we don't have, we don't, we're not overly, overly responsible. Okay. And finally, um, the church in Israel. Uh, this is, you know, I'm going to hit this quickly because I don't know if this fits our, our, our context as much in a, in a city here. But um, just to make sure, you know, you, just, you, you see with America, we're just like, we're, we love Israel. We got to be hanging out with Israel. But I would say some of that is theologically charged, actually. Um, and I want to propose to you, when you think of the church in Israel, I want to say, I think, we, I think we got it wrong in our normal culture. Um, so I want to say to you that when you think of the flow of redemptive history, I wish I can draw some right here, is you have, um, you, is Israel is kind of the epic of promise, right? So he, God picks this group of people, and through them, he provides a promise. And then, he, and then throughout their time, they are to continue to testify to the promise, all right? Uh, and then the reality was they, they failed, but then a promise actually came. And so I feel like what we are in, we're in the epic of fulfillment. Um, and so what happens in that epic, when you move from promise to fulfillment, is what happens is, is people, uh, sadly, were actually defined by um, 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 like, like, like genealogy, right? There's a genealogical distinction within this group of people, Okay. And so in the past, people were defined through their genealogy, and now what people are being defined in here is, is their Christology, all right? Like people aren't defined anymore by um, what group of people they belong to, but by the person they belong to. So you got Christological definition here, uh, and you have ethnic definition here. So that's what happens throughout history. And obviously, where people should be defined now by Christ. Um, you can, on your own time, you can read John 8, you can read John 2, you can read, uh, I'm sorry, you can read Romans 2, you can read Romans 9, Romans 11, um, that talk about this reality of the people of God. And so the question on the table is, does the church replace Israel? I want to say no. Absolutely not. But following Jesus Christ is the ultimate expression of true Judaism. You hear that? The church doesn't replace Israel, but actually... God is saying, if you really are a Jew, you'll worship Jesus. Spiritually. Which is what we are. Spiritual Israel. So. All right. That was a lot. I can tell. <laughs> Let me just end with this. And thank you, guys. Um, I want you to wrestle with some of that. Again, top shelf, but I think the things we need to think about as we're thinking about the nature of the body, how that applies to me. Let me, let me give you a clear, practical example, and then I want to ask you a question. Uh, I think practically the question is how do I find a church? I think you find a church based on what we've talked about. Here's how you find a church. First, join a church that preaches the Bible, all right? 
uh, that teaches theology, that preaches and understands the gospel uh, and conversion um, and does constant exposition of scripture, okay? If you're not getting that, I want to tell you, go to a place where that's happening. Join a church that models the greatest commandment to love, all right? Go to a church where, where they're not loving like we do as humans, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't be, don't be like, you know, putting your, you know, you know, Grey's Anatomy mindset on love, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't, don't be jacking love up, right? No, I'm saying like the way the Bible talks about love, all right? And then find a church that loves like that, all right? A church that models love is seen in Scripture, not man-centered or, or not love propagated by culture. Um, join a church that administers the sacraments. We already talked about that. That really takes into account that reality of, of proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. That we see the Lord tells us to model and that they're, just, they're faithful with that. I would encourage you to join a church that practices biblical church discipline. Okay, Matthew 2. Um, you can look at Matthew 18, uh, 1 Corinthians 5 for that matter. You can come to me. I can give you books on that, on church discipline. Join a church that understands and does discipleship. That's living out Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, different kind of flows, different kind of methods. Uh, but they're, they're a church that's going, that's baptizing, that's teaching, and that's doing it in the power and grace of the Holy Spirit. Go to a church like that. Join a church that has biblical leadership. Not yes men, but biblical leadership where, 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 where the pastor isn't feared and people can tell him he ain't all that. Go to that kind of church where you know the men aren't respectful of persons. All right? Here's the takeaway. You know why I think there's a lot of stuff? And <laughs> hey, y'all like, huh? Well, tell me why. The reason why I, I'm proposing there's a lot of stuff, and there's even more. I, this is like nothing compared to like the stuff that's in, in, our, in our books. is because I want, it seems like God is saying, hey, I'm, this is serious, and I'm expecting a lot out of the church. I'm convinced. He's like, I'm expecting a lot out of the church. And you know why? Because through this discipline of what we're talking about today, the nature of the church, it's one of the clear mandates of how we show who God is. You miss this, you miss how to clearly represent God to the world. So I'm convinced he's expecting a lot because he's the one being represented, guys. So here's a question. When you look at your journey, do you find yourself enhancing a clear picture of the church or making it blurry? In your, in your, in your posture, are you, are you one of those people where people go, oh, that's, thanks for giving me a little more about that. I can see now a little clearer about who... The church is, which lets me know who Christ is. Or through your journey, do people not even really get the church because you don't land anywhere? You got your own framework, what you think it should be? I pray we'll be a church that we would, we would know what we know, and we'll be humble. And when God reveals something to us that's, that's, that we're doing that's not biblical and that we will respond but I pray we would, we would, man, 
we would mile the marks of a healthy church. That's my prayer for us as a local body.